Raise your hand if you've known all along that forcing a floor vote for Medicare for all is the right thing to do. Also raise your hand if you've known all along that forcing AOC and the squad and other supposed progressives to do this to Nancy is a good idea. All right, it's nice to see all your smiling faces and your waving hands. Let's get started. This first article is by Brianna Joy Gray, The Case for Forcing a Floor Vote on Medicare for All. You can tell this is from current affairs because the formatting is so beautiful and artistic. The byline reads, Brianna Joy Gray on why forcing Pelosi into a floor vote is one important part of a broader strategy for building progressive power. On November 27th, YouTube pundit and comedian Jimmy Dore proposed a provocative plan to advance the Medicare for All movement. Refuse to re-elect Representative Nancy Pelosi, Democrat from California, as Speaker of the House until she brings Representative Pramila Jayapal's Medicare for All Bill, H.R. 1384, to a floor vote. Because last month's elections whittled down the Democratic majority in the House, it would take only a handful of Democrats to hold Pelosi's speakership hostage. Keaton Weiss came on his show on YouTube a couple of days ago and said that it would probably only take five. The squad, composed of representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib, could theoretically find sufficient support from among the ranks of the nearly 100 members of the Progressive Caucus. And if successful, progressives could force an unprecedented public debate about the merits of an enormously popular policy that, because of the COVID crisis, Americans have never needed more. Without a majority of votes in the House, the only way to bring a bill out of committee onto the floor where it can be publicly debated is if the Speaker of the House agrees to do so. When it comes to Medicare for all, Pelosi never has. And progressives worry that without a significant pressure campaign, elected Democrats will never be made to answer for why they stand well to the right of the public on the need for universal health care. Now is the time for progressives to exercise their power, play hardball, and use their power for the benefit of their constituents, Dorr argued. Public interest in the scheme spiked on Friday night and has been spiking even more since then when Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez weighed in via a Twitter reply to Chargers running back Justin Jackson, who has adopted Jimmy Dore's call to action. If AOC and the squad don't do what Jimmy Dore has suggested and withhold their vote for Pelosi for speakership until Medicare for All gets brought to the floor for a vote, they will be revealing themselves, he wrote. Power concedes nothing without a demand. AOC disagreed with the proffered scheme on the basis that Jayapal's Medicare for All bill is unlikely to pass at this time. So you issue threats, hold your vote, and lose. Then what? She asked. Instead of demanding a floor vote, AOC countered that progressives could use leverage to push for things that can happen and change lives. And dear viewers and listeners, we've already told you what a crock of shit that answer is. As an example, she offered a $15 minimum wage in the first 100 days and elevating longtime progressive champions to important positions in Democratic leadership. And I've already mentioned that both Biden and Pelosi have come out publicly in favor of $15 minimum wage, so what's that going to get you? Oh, I jumped ahead of Brianna. But progressives pointed out that a $15 minimum wage is part of the Democratic Party platform. Biden already supports a $15 minimum wage, tweeted journalist Aaron Maté. It won't take progressive leverage to hold him or Pelosi to something Biden already supports. It's the Senate that will decide it. I apologize because my hat keeps disappearing. You'll have to get used to it coming and going. 
And unlike other progressive priorities such as student debt cancellation or the provision of stimulus checks, initiating a floor vote is wholly within Nancy Pelosi's purview. It's a power she can exercise unilaterally to protect her position without relying on Biden to modify his policy priorities to protect her. Recently leaked audio of a contentious meeting between Biden and the leadership of civil rights organizations exposed how unyielding Biden can be to any agenda not his own. Comprehensive health care coverage is the most pressing political issue of the moment. Since the beginning of the pandemic, over 14 million Americans have been kicked off their employer-based health insurance as they lost their jobs to the shutdown. After a Democratic primary race in which nearly every candidate fought to protect the private healthcare industry on the grounds that voters deserved a choice, millions of Americans are now experiencing the cruel caprice of a system that links healthcare access to one's ability to work. Perhaps unsurprisingly, support for Medicare for All has reached historic highs during the pandemic. Even a Fox News exit poll showed that 72% of Americans support a single-payer system, and impressively, about half of Republicans support Medicare for All. But importantly, for the purposes of the door proposition, a whopping 88% of Democrats support the policy. A floor vote on Jayapal's bill could capitalize on the public's overwhelming approval for Medicare for All and expose the chasm between the policies Democratic voters want and the positions their elected representatives are willing to take. It's difficult to imagine a better historical context for this fight. Critics of the plan argue that demanding a floor vote for a bill that won't pass the House, much less the Senate, wastes progressives' political capital. We already know who supports Medicare for All, argued Ryan Grimm of The Intercept, and I can promise you it would get zero press coverage because the press doesn't cover bills that can't pass both chambers. But recent history offers a counterpoint to Grimm's claim that the media won't cover a standoff over health care. Just a week ago, the passage of the House bill decriminalizing marijuana was covered widely as historic. Perhaps because, like Medicare for All, it's an enormously popular policy with bipartisan support. It's also unlikely to pass the Senate. And that was without the added drama of the most powerful Democrat in the House being bent over the proverbial barrel by a squad of progressive upstarts. Moreover, the squad has a unique ability to attract media attention. Representatives Ocasio-Cortez, Katie Porter, and other progressive members of Congress are famously adept at making viral moments out of congressional hearing testimony, and if they were to coordinate with the activists and protesters who helped to organize the historically large mass protests from this summer, it's difficult to imagine they'd be ignored. Leveraging organized labor and the threat of a general strike would make any effort to push Medicare for all impossible to brush off, and they should do exactly that. This is me breaking in. I hadn't thought to coordinate it with the Black Lives Matter movement and a push for a general strike. Back to the story. Mass unemployment and the subsequent loss of employer-based coverage has stripped corporate Democrats of one of their most potent arguments against Medicare for All, that maintaining the for-profit health system offers much desired stability. And commitments to cover COVID-related costs have exposed the hypocrisy inherent in defenses of our current system. The admission by party leadership that COVID treatment should be free for all is a slippery slope to universal coverage. After all, it's not more inhumane to deny COVID treatment to those who can't pay for it than to deny treatment to a cancer patient who can't pay. Cancer is a primary cause of bankruptcy in America. 
Should progressives force a floor vote, they'd be well positioned to make a relatively unencumbered case for Medicare for all. A floor vote and the debate that comes with it could spark a referendum on our failing healthcare system at a moment when no other issue takes credible priority. Now is the time progressives have power, Dorr argued. In two years, the Democrats are going to get wiped out in the House. They will lose their majority and their speakership. The only time the progressives are going to have any power is right now at this moment, before the speaker is elected in the first week of January. Dorr's prediction that Democrats will lose seats during the 2022 midterms is far from guaranteed, but given the party's recent losses, there is a certain pragmatism to his urgency. Agitating for a floor vote also doesn't foreclose making other demands at the same time. On his blog, The Daily Poster, journalist David Sirota offered a number of alternative strategies to advance Medicare for All, including ousting Representative Richard Neal, a Medicare for All opponent, from his position as Ways and Means Chair. This is the type of concession AOC alluded to in her response to Jackson, and it's a meaningful one. But ousting Neal, an obscure figure to the average American voter, is unlikely to generate the kind of movement energy that a Medicare for All floor vote could potentially inspire. The argument is both and, not either or. But crucially, technocratic solutions must be wedded to the floor vote demand in order to spark the kind of public excitement that can galvanize labor, social movements, and voters. Progressives are buzzing with excitement because Democrats might, for once, do something bold. They might fight for something, not because the cost-benefit analysis demands it, but despite the potential political costs. And the threat of ousting Nancy Pelosi, who three-quarters of Americans believe should step down, practically guarantees breathless coverage from media figures on both sides of the aisle. In her response to Jackson, AOC argued that the opportunity cost was too high to waste on a floor vote for a bill that wouldn't ultimately pass. The Dem votes aren't there yet, she tweeted. Why risk negative press from a failed vote if a clean victory is in sight? But a lengthy delay risks wasting the leverage progressives get from a narrow House majority and the exigency of the pandemic. Progressives want to force a vote now precisely because they believe the chance they can secure the votes for Medicare for All in the near future is remote. If barely half of House Democrats are willing to co-sponsor Medicare for All, even while it has the support of 88% of Democratic voters during a global pandemic, what are the odds the holdouts will be more amenable once the vaccine is distributed and life begins to normalize? Importantly, even a failing floor vote would force Democrats to own their opposition to a life-saving popular policy, and it would expose those Democratic House members who are thought to have co-sponsored Medicare for All to burnish their progressive bona fides without ever intending to vote for the bill. For example, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker co-sponsored the Senate version of the bill but reversed their positions during their presidential campaigns. Forcing a vote on H.R. 1384 would pressure House Democrats to either support the bill or defend their no votes as single-payers' popularity spikes. Recall how her Iraq war vote dogged Hillary Clinton in both 2016 and 2008, or how both Biden and Bernie Sanders' votes for the 1994 crime bill continue to follow them. If Jayapal's bill loses, then we know who is on our side and who is not, Dorr has argued. Then we can put a marker down. No voters would also be forced to justify their position to primary challengers in 2022. Would love for Democrats to be on the record denying their constituents health care during a pandemic, tweeted Jackson. 
sounds like good politics for the progressive movement and our goals. Recall that although establishment Democrats attempt to blame Medicare for All for last month's congressional losses, no swing district candidate who supported Medicare for All lost on November 3rd. Despite the hand-wringing of pharma-backed corporate Democrats, Medicare for All is a winning issue. Put that one on the back of a napkin and keep it handy when you're having a raging debate with shitlibs on Facebook and Twitter. Medicare for All is a winning issue, despite what the corporate neolib comfy people say. The desire to push Pelosi into allowing a vote and to have hearings in the House on Medicare for All is born out of a long-standing frustration with the media, which historically shields Democrats from accountability to their constituents when it comes to health care. Mainstream outlets rarely challenge anti-Medicare for All Democrats on why they're bearish on the policy their constituents overwhelmingly support. And pundits on liberal networks regularly adopt disproven right-wing talking points about the affordability of the program. Moreover, the relationship between candidates who oppose Medicare for All and their corporate-funded campaigns is rarely, if ever, examined, and voters are left to assume that their representatives decline to support Medicare for All because it's not electorally viable, rather than because they've accepted significant sums from the pharmaceutical and private insurance industries to finance their campaigns. As COVID raged last spring, President-elect Biden said that he would veto Medicare for All even if it were to pass the House and the Senate. He also received more money from insurance and pharmaceutical industry employees than any other candidate in the race, and his senior advisor is a former health care lobbyist. During the primary, he received crucial ninth-inning support from Representative Jim Clyburn of South Carolina, whose endorsement is considered to have been critical to Biden's victory after a string of disappointing primary finishes. Clyburn is firmly against Medicare for All, despite the fact that black voters support the policy more than any other ethnic group. He is also the single highest recipient of pharmaceutical money in Congress. These connections are rarely made by the press. How many of you, dear viewers and listeners, knew that Jim Clyburn is the single highest recipient of pharmaceutical money in Congress? Whoa! According to the Center for Responsive Politics, healthcare companies spent just shy of $568 million on lobbying in 2018, more than any other industry. And as Bernie's primary campaign ramped up in the first quarter of 2019, the number of organizations hiring lobbyists to oppose Medicare for All increased by a factor of seven. Record numbers of Americans still support a single-payer system, but positive polls alone aren't enough to induce congressional support for the policy as long as elected officials are paid to vote the other way. The system needs a jolt, and Dorr believes he's identified the necessary spark. Ocasio-Cortez herself has alluded to the value of a floor vote on Medicare for All, regardless of whether it would pass. The Democratic Party is not a left party, she lamented this past January. We can't even get a floor vote on Medicare for All. Not even a floor vote that gets voted down. We can't even get a vote on it. If I remember right, she said that on Jimmy Dore's show. How ironic. At the end of the day, the moral case for action requires no strategic justification. As Kyle Kalinske, co-founder of Justice Democrats, the progressive PAC that backed AOC's historic 2018 run, tweeted, If your politics comes from a place of principle, then all the strategy talk is pretty silly anyway. If you believe in something, you fight for it and dot every I and cross every T. 
If you lose, okay, but the act of doing everything in your power to achieve it is the definition of morality. Hmm, maybe that's the problem. Look as far as the eye can see. Tell me how much morality you can spot from where you're sitting. And now Caitlin Johnstone tells us why it's good to push politicians to do the right thing even when they probably won't. That was timely. And Brianna already told you the answer. It's because it's the moral thing to do. The debate rages on over whether or not House progressives should force a floor vote on Medicare for All by threatening not to re-elect Nancy Pelosi as House Speaker, with one side arguing that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the rest of the squad were elected to advance progressive policies, so that's what they should do, and the other side arguing that AOC is cool, so shut up and leave her alone. Caitlin has such a way with words. And I'll add that if you have friends who say we should shut up because AOC is cool, you should tell them to raise their right hand and then slap themselves with it. As we discussed yesterday, Americans will not be given Medicare for all despite overwhelming public support because an immense amount of power depends on keeping them in a state of financial struggle so they don't interfere in the affairs of a nation which serves as the hub of a global empire. Ding, ding, ding. The U.S. political system does not exist to serve the interests of Americans. It exists to serve the interests of the empire. No part of that system is there to protect the people from the powerful. It's there to protect the powerful from the people. Wow. Caitlin's tweet says, Why they're denying you health care and financial support during a pandemic? If wealth were more evenly distributed in the most powerful nation on earth, there'd be no ruling class to ensure the domination of the globe-spanning empire. Wow. Spoiler alert, this article is just chock full of wow moments. There's a misconception which spans almost the entire U.S. political spectrum, and that is the idea that some part of the system serves the people. Progressives believe they can use the electoral process to obtain economic justice for Americans. Trumpers believe the judicial system is going to overturn Biden's win any minute now. Liberals believed Mueller was going to drag the entire Trump camp out of the White House in chains. And that's just not the case. There is no part of the U.S. political system which is anything other than innately oppositional to economic justice. There is no part of the U.S. judicial system which would ever act to reverse widespread establishment electoral fraud. There was no part of the special counsel which was separate from the same unifying power structure that Trump serves to remove him from office over corruption or anything else. Ever since 2016, people have been predicting massive upheavals which radically shift power from one mainstream faction to the other, but it never happens. The imperial machine keeps chugging along with all its parts working in well-oiled harmony. And that's all the U.S. governmental system exists for, ensuring the uninterrupted functioning of the imperial machine. But that doesn't mean there's no value in pushing for officials to do the right thing. Yes, it is true that AOC and other House progressives will probably lay low instead of doing the right thing that people are pushing them to do, and that even if they do show some spine and force a floor vote on Medicare for All, it will be quashed by other politicians on Capitol Hill. Yes, it is true that any and all measures which U.S. progressives advance to bring Americans the same social safety nets afforded to everyone else in every major country on earth will be quashed by whatever means necessary to ensure the continuation of a ruling class to manage the global empire, but it is still very worthwhile to push for those things anyway. Why? Because it's the moral thing to do. That was me on that last sentence.
You don't push politicians to do the right thing because you think they will. You do it to show everyone else that they won't. You get them essentially making your argument for you. Oh, we can't fight for that right now because the system is rigged to nullify our attempts to do so. And this helps spread awareness to the greater public about just how fucked things really are. Say it with me. Ding, ding, ding. Human behavior only changes when there's an expansion of consciousness, whether you're talking about individuals or a collective of any size. This might sound like woo-woo new age drivel, but I promise you it isn't. It just means that people don't stop doing crazy and self-destructive things until they can fully perceive what's driving it and why it's undesirable. Substance abuse doesn't end until the user turns and faces the inner demons that have been driving them to use. A religion's child molestation epidemic doesn't end until its victims come forward and are actually listened to. Women don't get the right to vote until awareness spreads that women are actually capable, independent thinkers. A society doesn't collectively reject racism until it collectively becomes aware of how destructive and insane it is. No matter the size or scale, the behavioral dynamics do not change until consciousness is brought into them. This is where the real battle is being waged. Not ultimately in winning elections or obtaining committee positions or even really in winning specific battles over policy, but in expanding consciousness. In showing more and more people more and more information about what's actually going on above and below the surface. That's what will lead to swift and lasting change. This is why so much of the battle is happening on the front of propaganda, censorship, and press freedoms. The more unconscious aspects of our world want to keep things secret, distorted, and hidden in the shadows, while those who want change are fighting to turn the lights on. This is also why there's so much value in getting a political system which doesn't serve the people to expose itself. First and foremost, the quest is to spread awareness of what's really going on to as many people as possible. People need to become aware that they've been duped. Here's another tweet. It's a conversation between Shitlibs and Jimmy Dore. Shitlibs say, elect them and then hold their feet to the fire. Jimmy says, here's an idea. Let's hold their feet to the fire. The Shitlibs say, Oh God, no, don't hold their feet to the fire. You'll burn their feet. <laughs> so keep spreading awareness using every tool you have available to you. Pressure the system to do what it's supposed to be doing and then when it doesn't, shine a big bright light on the lock they've placed on the door and make a lot of noise about it so that people can see they've been trapped. Things won't change until a critical mass of people become aware of all the things that are happening and how they are happening. Once this awareness has been sufficiently spread, there's not actually anything our rulers can do to stop us from using the power of our numbers to force real change. They can't arrest us all, they'll run out of prison space. They can't kill us all, they'll have no one to rule. It's an unwinnable fight for them, which is why they're fighting instead to keep all the lights off using corruption, propaganda, and secrecy to keep us from opening our eyes at mass scale to what they're doing. Our task is to turn the lights on. Their task is to keep them off. The side that wins this battle is the side that wins it all.